Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober. The podcast for the sober and sober curious. Hi and welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and the sober curious. Today it's me, Kate, and I am absolutely delighted to welcome a very special guest. And, and we, we've spoken to her before and it is an absolute delight to... Um, to have the opportunity to speak again to Anne Dowsett Johnson. And Anne Dowsett Johnson is the best-selling author of the book Drink, Deadly Relationship Between Women and Alcohol. Uh, she's also the founder of Writing Your Recovery, which we're going to dive into today and why it's so important for women to own their own recovery story. And she's an award-winning journalist. So a big warm welcome to you, Anne. Hello. Hello, Kate. So lovely to see you again. Yeah, it's lovely to see you too. Thanks so much for coming on. So how are you today? Before we dive in, we always do a little bit of a check-in. So, so how are things for you today, Anne? Things are um, tremendous. Um, we are filling up our Writing Your Recovery courses, and uh, which start June 1st, which has me excited. And I am... Feeling um, very excited because I have a new granddaughter and I'm about to go visit her in Los Angeles and she is almost six months old. So her name is Frankie and I'm delighted at this stage in life to have a new beginning. Oh, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. For little Frankie. For little Frankie. And And it goes without saying, I guess I would just add that you know, I wouldn't be going to look after her if I was still drinking. So to put some relevance around it in a sober space, um, these are the rewards that we get, um, you know, as parents and grandparents when we put down the glass. So um, I have opportunities that wouldn't have been possible for me. So I'm really savoring that. Yeah. And I think that's so wise. I think, you know, I noticed the longer we go down the sober journey or our recovery journey, it's such an important kind of practice to still put everything through the sober lens to reflect back on the gifts. Yes. And not to forget, you know, it is that sort of practice. It's a practice of of remembering. (laughs) What a beautiful phrase. Yes, it's a practice of remembering. And I have framed on my wall and mention in my TED talk um, a Mother's Day card that my son gave me which was a real wake-up call of the fact I was drinking too much and so this is a grandmother's moment um, to date me (laughs) Um, a grandmother's moment Mm. that's very precious Mm, very very precious (laughs) so you know we're going to talk about writing and your course, like you said, that's coming up, um, writing your recovery, 1st of June, so so fairly soon. Um, and obviously, with your, you know, your work history, history and your recovery story, writing's been your, your passion, your career and a tool for recovery. Um, obviously, a really key part of your life. And I wonder if you can tell us what kind of makes it so powerful for you. Well, I think that when we write, we get to reframe, revisit, but most importantly, reframe what happened to us. And I think shame is such a huge part of what happens to women when they get sober. Uh, I think that 
holding the pen, holding, using your voice to really metabolize what happened to you is so key. And I just want to take a moment to say this is this is recovery from anything. This is recovery from grief. It's recovering from eating disorders. It's recovering from alcohol use, which was my issue. Um, and what happens when we own the pen is I think we go on a very private journey to unpack um, everything that happened to us that led to um, our decline and led to our wonderful re-embracing of life. Um, it's, a, it's a very personal odyssey. And I think that it's possible for almost anyone to benefit from that kind of self-reflection, self-disclosure, self, and mostly the reframing. I'm enjoying your language of the personal odyssey and, uh, you know, that, that journey um, of, like you said, the reframing, reclaiming. And almost, uh, I sort of feel there's a few things that I want to pull out. I feel like writing is a real, really female form somehow. It's like all the men got published way back when, but actually women were writing diaries, writing letters, writing memoirs, writing poetry. Um, yes. And it, it feels like a very, it feels like it's been therapeutic for women uh, for a really long time, actually. Yeah, I mean, I think you can go back to Emily Dickinson. You can go back to Virginia Woolf in a room of one's own. I mean, it isn't a coincidence that my dog is called Wolfie. Um, <laughs> I think that um, we have a chance. I, I'll, I'll digress for a second. We, I'm very moved by the fairy tale of the handless maiden, that we give up our hands as daughters. We give up our hands as, and I think every woman should read that, that Grimm's fairy tale. Um, we give up our hands as wives. How do we reclaim our, our hands? Mm. Um, in other words, our stories are put our own hands on our own lives. Um, and writing is a perfect way to do it. You know, Joan Didion said, we tell ourselves stories in order to live, but everyone quotes that part of the quote, but they rarely go on to the next part of what she says, which is essentially, I'll paraphrase, a way of ordering what happened ordering what happens in life, because it can be so chaotic to be mm. a woman, a mother, a worker. Um, these are complex lives and they bear, they bear telling. And we are so, you know, the novelist, um, Carol Shields, the Pulitzer Prize winning novelist, Carol Shields, such a remarkable woman who died too early did a series of um, three books called Drop Threads, What We Aren't Told, about women's lives and what our mothers don't tell us, what our sisters don't tell us, what we don't tell one another. And I'm finding in this course such a wealth of women's stories because we can mine what happens to us. We can mine it and reframe it and come out actually quite different. We go through the crucible of writing, mm. come to terms with what happened and emerge 
a different person. Mm. And sometimes as a writer, I guess I'll close by saying, I don't know what I think of something until I sit down and write about it. It's a way of putting my paws on the pastry, shaping the dough and saying, ah, yes, that's what happened. That's what really happened. Mm. Yeah, that's sort of, I love what you said about the crucible and yeah, processing. Um, there is something fascinating to me about something about writing and that narrative allowing us that a kind of almost like a bird's eye view something about a, a uh, there's a, a cathartic process you know and a journey which somehow if we when we're writing and we look at our lives like that we can like you say you can jo- kind of join the dots see mm-hmm. the progressions there's somehow um, just that little bit of distance almost like you said to to organize and to make make sense I guess right? yes so, so order and chaos order and and that p- pulling back and birds are it reminds me of a tapestry about not knowing what stitch you're going to do and then you can pull back and you go oh okay it's the Bayo tapestry I just created and I, I yes. didn't know I was just I was just mucking about you know um, yes yes funny you should say that because we start in the first class with what I call a quilt square. Most people arrive scared. They say, I have no talent, I can't do this. Often they have a lot of talent, but there's a lot of fear and stage fright And so, in being in a class. And so we start with what I call a quilt square. We're making a quilt. All I want you to do is produce one scene. And often it's the scene of your ruin. Um, and I get, or, or a scene from childhood, and I get the, the women to use their five senses, the five senses, and just say, simply remember, either think of a picture from your childhood and use the five senses. And often we can remember our mother's perfume, or we can remember the smell of baking. And people do extraordinarily well when they are just told to write a quilt square. There's also the thing of owning the time to do a quilt square. People can find 20 minutes um, to say each morning I will do a quilt square. And before they know it, the story is coming out of them and it's coming out often differently than what they expected. Mm. So there is a there is a magical um, really there's an alchemy, I think, to the writing process where we're taken somewhere um, that we wouldn't be otherwise. So if you can find 20 minutes a day um, or 15 minutes a day and not panic and just say, all I'm doing is a quilt square. It adds up. I've got, I've been doing this course now for two years and I've got three writers who are ready to write books and they just started with quilt squares. Mm. it's exciting that's amazing it's really exciting and it is that sort of breaking it down into bite-sized chunks isn't it and mm-hmm. we put so much pressure on ourselves and I I relate to this you know it's like I want to write a book well I have written two books but I want to write you know uh non-fiction say and it's like I feel like in my head I've got to have it all laid out you know I've got to have all the, the revolving carousel of characters and the plot line and this this and this we put such a lot of pressure on ourselves 
in our lives and in our creative processes to have it all figured out and I think what you're saying is actually go really small and sort of step into the unknown right otherwise we're overwhelmed and we don't begin and we all say that we want to do this and we don't and we don't get it done and I have to take my own medicine I got up yesterday and wrote a very short piece 900 words and uh and had to say it was something that didn't exist before Mm. um but there is it was about the soundtrack in our heads um in recovery what what soundtrack are you playing about your recovery what soundtrack are you playing about yourself Mm. and I think that Uh, It's important. It's important to pay attention. Our own voice is the one that we'll hear the most, you know, from birth to death. And um, curating, if you can, what comes into your brain Mm. is really important. Why is owning our story as women so important for our recovery? Oh, I think there's a societal... um, uh, a bullying societal pressure. Um, if you have run into trouble with eating or heartache that won't heal or, or alcohol where there's a lot of shame and a lot of, um, yeah, a shame that I think can be, I call this space unshamed, um, and shame free because we need access to um, the trajectory of what happened to us. And I'm a big believer in what Gabor Mate says about uh, addiction isn't a brain disorder. It isn't a disease. It's, it's, you know, complicated and related to, to complicated coping mechanism. And I think when you ask yourself that question, what was I coping with? Um, then we get to the storyline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so interesting the way we've sort of moved away from, I know that, you know, how I definitely approach my sobriety, which could not ever be 12 steps and traditional recovery for, for all of my personal trajectory with uh, my religious past. Um, <clears throat> but there was that narrative wasn't there so much it's just an addiction and you follow these steps then that's fine and for some people that that's brilliant but actually for me that really resonates you know what what happened what happened to you what were you coping with how did it work for you what was working about about it what need was there and and it feels like at that point what's coming out is I think you mentioned this before this is opportunity to reflect and shine a light on things they're going to be there anyway but this process of writing allows us to shine a light into those spaces call them out and because yes. they're on the page and because it's part of a process it's not like I mean we're in control of that right that's a beautiful you can put down the pen and go for a walk yeah that's what I learned about um when I wrote drink I learned that I had the microphone, I had the pen. I, I would only tell the stories I wanted to tell. My mother was 84 at the time and had had a terrible history with alcohol. And I would only tell the stories that I felt able to tell. I, I, I told a lot, but um, yes, you have the pen and the microphone and um, 
I think that it was really important in my book to talk about workaholism and depression predating alcoholism. It's really important if you think of drinking a love story, Carolyn Knapp's beautiful book, where she talks a lot about her loneliness as a single person and not marrying and not and feeling isolated. Mm -hmm. And we could go through the various books and talk about what was burdening people. But I think that um, what I'm seeing in this, in these classes of, of women, um, is a wide variety of, of stories, of tales. Um, and then what's so fun is they are like support groups. Mm. So I am now a psychotherapist. So is it group therapy or is it a writing class? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit of both. Yeah, yes. a little bit of both, which is, yeah. is wonderful. And then when they are successful, um and make it through the end of the class they go on to writing your discovery not recovery um and continue to support each other in groups and so I have two of those groups that have decided to go onwards with one another so there's a legacy of um female support mm, that's beautiful and like you I I wasn't made for 12 step wasn't made for 12 step. I did get sober through 12 step, but I, I'm not, I wasn't made for it. And um, I find that the women supporting one another in this way is where I, I feel at home. I love what you said as well about, I, I, there's a few things, the, you know, the recovery to discovery point, mm -hmm. because that's a beautiful launch pad, isn't it? This next piece because our ongoing sobriety, our ongoing recovery, well, a lot of is focused on that, you know, how do we sort of get sober? And then it becomes, we, we get into that normal bit when it, right. it stops being such a struggle, but then there's a danger there of that hedonic adaptation, that kind of, okay, I'm just used to this day in, day out. And how do we put that magic in how do we light ourselves up and, and so that I guess that speaks to that discovery piece is to remind ourselves that we are I don't know I was going to say co-creating our lives and that made me feel a bit spiritual then like co-creating it with the things that just are and the gifts that come and all the challenges that we were talking about life being lifey um life being lifey life is very <laughs> lifey <laughs> We were talking about that just before we got on the call. How are you? Well, life's a bit lifey at the moment. Oh, God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But um, mm -hmm. I have a feeling often that our stories are all ordinary and extraordinary all at the same time. And I think people have a real feeling that their story isn't good enough or while, you know, journalistic enough the rock bottom, the rags to riches, the this, the that and the other, but all of our stories being ordinary and extraordinary all at the same time. Yes. And the, I suppose where I'm going with this is that I think that the process of that recovery, you know, it's like the picking out those bits and turning things it's like, you know, the spinning the straw into gold, the dirty straw into gold. <laughs> and, um, that's something inherently extraordinary. 
and it's really easy to identify with ourselves. Um, I don't really know where I'm going, but I'm wondering how that lands with you and yes. the process. What I think is so remarkable about writing is that we sit down to write A to B and C arrives. So I'll give you an example. There is a woman in Writing Your Discovery who was certain she write, was writing a piece about depression. Mm -hmm. She had a blog on depression. She had a big mega job in the United States. And it ended up being a story on the fact they took in her, she and her husband and their three children took in her homeless brother and the homeless brother became a character in the book. So I think what I'm saying and I'm hearing is that right, never underestimate what happens with the alchemy of your soul meeting the page. Mm. Um, because um, I believe, and this is a kind of Elizabeth Gilbert notion, that if you actually do the tough job of putting your rear end in the chair and picking up a pen, the muse will come and will deliver something important to you. And it is your job just to sit there, just to show up every day. And you never know what will emerge. You never know what will emerge and, and where is the gold in your story. So it's a practice. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It reminds me of yoga. My my um, my yoga teacher always says, um, if you've made it to yoga, you're really good at yoga because it's just oh. literally about getting, <laughs> getting on the mat. If you've got on the mat, you're amazing at yoga. <laughs> I love brilliant. that. I love that too. Yeah. And it's the same I, thing. <laughs> I love that. That is beautiful. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so there's, there's, um, a power, a power in the pen. And I think that women um, were raised to be helpers, were raised to be good girls. And we're not raised to, there's something, as we know from reviving Ophelia, there's something that happens to young women between the ages of 11 and 13, where they lose their voices or can lose their voices. And it's really important to find your voice again. Yeah. And I, and I, re I relate to that. I was thinking about, you know, well, there's two bits about if you are writing your recovery story in a, in a memoir, and I, you have spoken to this a bit already, but the, the idea of, of how do we protect ourselves emotionally in terms of triggers and things being traumatic? Mm. And also, yeah, that piece about there's something, you know, about other family members or... Yeah, telling our truth may not look pretty. Probably no. doesn't if we're writing our memory me memoirs around our addictive failures and our recovery. Yes, no, two really important questions. <clears throat> Someone said to me recently, it was my actually my literary agent said, "Why did you go back to school to become a psychotherapist?" Um, and I, I don't think I could run this group without um, actually being a psychotherapist in this, yes, I was an editor for 40 years. Yes, I'm a best-selling author, but it's the fact uh, that we do deal with triggers. We do deal with, I do deal one-on-one -on -one with each um, class member when they get into trouble because they will be triggered. 
And the biggest question that comes up, and it came up at She Recovers when I first launched this idea in, in New York a few years ago, is how do you talk about family members? You know, there's the Anne Lamott joke that if they wanted you to write well about them, they should have behaved better. Well, that's funny, but it doesn't really answer the question. (laughs) And especially when we're writing about, I'll take a specific, when we're writing about teenage children, you know, they don't really have uh, the knowledge of what it will feel like to be in a book. And my my son was given full reign to read drink before it appeared. And he, he did have five parts that bothered him. So we are on probably the most potent question. What do you do writing about family members who are still alive or who were loved by those who are still alive? So, so say you're writing about your mother who's dead, but, but you've got siblings who are going to be very angry at your you know, these, this is the thorniest, meatiest mm. stuff that we deal with in the class. Is it fair to write about a 13-year-old um, who might at 18 be really angry when your book's published? Mm. I mean, let's take on Laura McCowan writes, opens, we're the luckiest with uh, losing her daughter in a hotel. How's that going to feel to Alma later? Big question. You know, it's, it's, it's a question and I'm sure they've dealt with it. How does my son feel knowing that I'm writing a drink and about the fact I drank heavily when he was a teenager? Um, these are the questions we wrestle with in the class and we wrestle within a, as a group and then very individually. And part of the class is having a one hour um, one-to-one with me. So um But we end up being a support group, as I said earlier, and um, it's an international group of people, women, who form extraordinary bonds um, with one another. And these are the meaty things we discuss. Yeah, and I guess what I'm hearing there is that it very very much, it's self-determining. It's there to, you know, holding the space and to work through the process with that individual and see what the costs are and the benefits and mm-hmm. and, and look at, at their lives. And I guess it's that's part of recovery is, you know, it, it is part of that um, healing those boundaries and things being all right or not, which are disclosed and which aren't. That's right. Um, so, for instance, in my book, Drink, <clears throat> My brother thought I, I hadn't gone far enough because my mother was violent. And, and my sister thought um, I, hadn't, I had gone far enough. Thank you very much. So I couldn't even get accordance with my two siblings. So I walked down the middle line. They called me Switzerland. Um, it's just, it's just um, the thorniest question. Mm. But it sounds like you had conversations with them, the people who are in your life. Yes, is, is I, right? I did. So you had conversations before you published about about that. Or... Yes, yes. And, and that can be very awkward because, <clears throat> you know, you can find family members who will say, um, I don't want you to publish that about mom. Or if you do, I will challenge you. Um, uh, so the question is, do you show it or do you not show it? 
mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. and these are, these are the things we wrestle with in the class. We, we spend time writing. We spend a lot of time reading, workshopping. So mm-hmm. each person reads a piece if they feel like it. Often there's a person who won't read to the last class and um, they're very dynamic groups. Mm-hmm. And and those are the questions. Do you show these, these mm. you're writing to a loved one? Do you want it published? Are you just writing for yourself? Yeah, yeah for sure. And I know for me, it's, uh, I think, f- I remember we had to, we got a really, a dear friend, dear sober sister called um, Rose, Rose Romaine. She actually did the audio on our, on our first book. Um, she's a voice actor. And when we interviewed her, I said something like, you know, to tell us about, about your recovery story, tell us about your journey to being sober. And she said, well, to be honest, it really would vary day to day, depending on how I feel. <laughs> and I love that. So there's part of that as well, I guess, the editing process, the going, the revisiting, to, to feel like you've got something balanced and can represent all, all manners of self, all parts of self at any given time or not you know but but it is that awareness of of the dynamic and the complex beast that that it can be oh it is a complex beast isn't it it really is Kate. <laughs> it really is it really is a complex beast and i think that to land somewhere where you're happy um there's a lot of power in 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 words and what you're doing and I just think it's a it's a it's a rich and beautiful. Of course, it's how I spend my life. Rich and beautiful thing yeah. to do. Mm. So, how can we? Yeah, you mentioned before about engaging the senses um, to kind of shine a light on on. Uh, hopefully, the, the you know because our our journeys. This is sorry, I'm rambling a little bit, but there has been a real. Well, I see it actually when people first arrive and, they, and they're getting sober, there's a lot of shame that you talked about. And we tend to look back at everything very negatively, you know, and all the things that we did wrong. And there's that whole thing about oh, you're frozen at the age that you started drinking, which I think is ridiculous because I'm like, but I traveled the world, had two children, had about five careers. There's no way I just froze then you know no don't don't talk rubbish you might have done I don't know but anyway that annoys me and so yeah using the senses and using this process to identify I guess the gifts and the tools and the strengths that we can have Um, yes I don't know if you can speak to that well I mean you you brought up a very interesting example the the notion that we're frozen at the age that we you know, started drinking, which I happen not to agree with either. Um, I think that there are a gazillion women out there who are getting sober, who are waiting for the next book to be written because they're gobbling quitlet. And I think it's um, folly to believe that I mean, just think of the things you've just revealed in this short interview, um, not to explore, say the whole issue that we, you know, are completely stuck at the age when we, when we started to drink. Um, what am I trying to say? I'm, I'm trying to say that, that 
there is room for endless exploration of this really thorny issue. We're living in a, a culture where women are out um, outnumbering men in terms of emergency room visits related to alcohol. We're in a culture that's so alcogenic. I mean, there's no end of new stories that could be told. And I think that the appetite is, is huge as people wrestle with what is um, a definitely an epidemic in the pandemic and it totally predated the pandemic. Um, my book came out in 2013 and everything it predicted came true. And it is um, culturally, culturally um, really alarming. So I think there's room for voices of every kind um, and a wide variety of voices that haven't um, haven't been haven't been read. So many voices to hear, and I think the problem that I hear the most I hear I hear two things. I think I hear I'm too busy and I don't make room for it, and I hear my story is too small, no one will care, and that's just um, not true. This is not true, and it's often the brightest writer who says my story isn't different enough, and then and then they surprise one another. I think. Um, if you want to be published, you have to find the curious thing in your story. Um, and that's why I didn't tell a fully, you know, my own story. My, my book is a mix of journalism. It's a braided book mm. of journalism and memoir, mm. but, um, and other women's stories. But there are so many, we have poets in, in the group. We have, mm. Um, women telling any number of different stories and um, it cross-pollinates. So someone's talent um, goads another person's talent. And it's, it's like what you said about the yoga mat. Um, if you're on the yoga mat, you're, you're doing yoga. And <laughs> if you're in the course, you will write. Yeah you will write yeah. and something will um, emerge from you. Mm. So what, um, give us some tips to start off with. Right. Um, my biggest tip comes from Twyla Tharp and it's how I started mm. drink. Twyla Tharp's book the, on the creative habit. I, I recommend that people read two books that, that and, and the war of art which is about procrastinating. And I think if you read um, those two books um, to get yourself prepared, I mean, you can read Annie Dillard, you can read Liz Gilbert, but, but if you read those two books, so here's what I suggest you do. You, and I told um, Holly Whitaker to do this when she started Quit Like a Woman, you get, you get a either index cards or yellow stickies and you write every great idea um, that you might theme theme my mother was mean it can be as simple as that and you put it in that yeah. box right 
Then you go through your photographs and you choose some emblematic photographs. And um, those are prompts that you can write from. You can easily write from, I remember the picnic that day by the beach and why my mother was angry and what bothered me. And in my case, I clipped ads. I clipped alcohol ads. I clipped news news stories on women and alcohol. Um, And by the time I wrote drink, I had a fairly full yellow box Mm -hmm. that that could stir my imagination if I felt dry one morning. And then you can write from a photograph. You can write from um, a concert stub. You can write from anything, any memory. And it's really about the habit. It's just like your yoga story. (laughs) Yeah. It's really about putting your (laughs) rear end in the chair and saying, because, you know, um, a lot of it will be at the beginning, clearing your throat, just hearing your own voice and you clear your throat, you clear your throat and it won't necessarily be what you're stuck with. But there's also second tip, joy in re-editing. Joy in returning to what you saw. I'm a big believer in the Hansel and Gretel story. So you put the breadcrumbs out for tomorrow. You get up the next morning or the little pebbles. You get up the next morning and you find your path by rereading what you wrote the day before and you make it better. And that's how I wrote drink. I'd write about 800 to 1,000 words a day. I'd get up the next day, read what I'd written, clean it up keep going next day, do the same thing. And, and in 11 months, I had a book. So, um, you know, there's no, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, there's no great magic to it. You put your rear end in a chair and, (laughs) and, and you set a kitchen timer Mm. or your, or your phone. Really practical. And I and but I love that that sort of the combination of those inspiration points, and um, yeah, those those little tools like you say some some photographs, a stub, anything tactile, something. Yeah, it's already I can feel myself getting all excited about some photos I found of when I was three, and I was because I went I did some equine therapy recently, and um, I found a picture of myself at age three, like kind of trying to go up to a pony in the new forest approach it very very carefully and it was just beautiful to see come full circle you know myself as three and then nearly 53 (laughs) 50 years later entering the horse paddock on their terms rather than riding them and it took me right back you know so you have um, a perfect quilt square there you have a perfect quilt square (laughs) amazing amazing you're already Um, on your way no no it sounds beautiful thank you so much and so just remind us again where where we can find you we'll put put everything on the show notes we'll put all the links to your to your course and the dates etc thank you um so my name and dosetjohnston.com and that's am without an e um and under workshops you can register we have courses starting June the 1st, and we added <clears throat> midday courses to for those in Europe and those in the UK um, and Australia. We have people all over the world joining right now and also 
absolutely in the evening. So we tend to have um, a very international population and wonderful women. Mm, fantastic. Yeah. So that that sort of midday would be about five o'clock, I think, here in the UK and six o'clock p.m in Europe so that those are the kind of timings for over here and then you have one yeah stateside I can't work out the Australian one my brain doesn't do that maths but yeah you can you can plug that into your world clock and find out when those when those timings are um so just lastly we always finish with what your reason to love sober is today my reason to love sober um is that I wake up um, incredibly early and get some writing done every morning. And when I was, uh, and I go to bed reading and when I was drinking, I could not remember what I'd read the night before. And I certainly wasn't getting up and writing. So it's an authentic creative life that I've been able to build. And, um, that I would say with passion. Mm. Oh, I love that. And, and, you know, what a gift that is. And you've given that to us with your book and now your, your courses inspiring other women to tell their recovery stories. So thank you so much. Thank Thanks you, Kate. Coming on again. It's been a delight to speak to you. Wonderful to see you again. If you're immediately concerned about your drinking, do just reach out, send up a flare, find an online group that suits you. There's lots of them out there. So just find your fit and feel free to get in touch at hello at lovesober.com with any ideas that you'd like to hear talked about. And I'll see you next week for more chat. <laughs>